We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. Hi there, it's Timmy Manor and welcome to the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. Joining me tonight, as he does every single week, Ben Little. Yep, that's right, right here. Yeah, that's right. Our special guest this week, she's represented Australia at the Commonwealth Games, the Olympics and the World Championships on a number of occasions. She's actually born in New York, Ben, did you know that? No, I didn't. Born in New York. She dreamed of representing Australia from a very young age at the Olympics and she said previously competing at the 2012 London Games was one of her greatest achievements. She had to overcome a raft of serious injuries, which ruled her out from the previous Olympics. And uh, we'll definitely talk a lot about that. Um, she holds a record for the greatest 10,000 metre time by an Australian at 31 minutes and Ooh. 14 seconds. <laughs> That's very, very fast. She recorded that in the final of the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. Um, she's also found another passion, Benny, uh, which is one of being the founding directors of Love Mercy Foundation. This is an organization which exists to see Northern Ugandans live and empowered free to claim their basic human rights to secure food, income, education, equality, and health. Tonight, my guest on the Spirit of Sport is two-time Olympian Eloise Wellings. Eloise, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks for having oh, me. Yeah, no worries. What an intro. What, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> just, need some water. I do need yeah. to correct something, actually. Oh, okay. I, I'm, I, it was the fastest time by an Australian woman at the Olympics. Ooh. So it wasn't, it's not the fastest time ever. Okay. Benita Willis, the great Benita Willis, um, has beaten that time. Benita, and okay. also Ellie Pashley, yeah. So I think it might be the third fastest um, in Australian history, but... It's the first time at the Olympics, so yeah, just just want oh, to I, 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 don't, I don't want to have to throw you under the bus. Just, I, got a lot of res- I got a lot of respect for those girls. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for the thanks for the kind words. Yeah, thanks. I don't want to throw you under the bus, but I will. Producer Tom, um, there's just a little error there, mate. So for everyone listening, guys, that wasn't that wasn't my fault. Still, <laughs> still quite an achievement, though. It is though. Thank I actually, you. it's you know what I did a um. And this is, I knew we were talking to you today. So I, I did a 10K run this morning on the treadmill, uh, which I guess treadmill's a lot easier than running in the real world. And I was really happy with my time, Benny. Yeah. 46 and a half minutes. That means she would have, Eloise would have finished, had time to probably had a shower and got changed. Warm and I still would have been running. And, that was like, and I thought I was flying. <laughs> that is so fast. 31 minutes is so fast. Um, Eloise, how are how, how you going? How's things? Yeah, yeah, good. I mean, as good as it can be. We're in lockdown, obviously. Well, not obviously, but I'm I live in Sydney, so yeah, uh, yeah, we're in hard lockdown. And um, but yeah, I'm just you know I've had to pivot over the last few weeks. I had a, a crack at making the Tokyo Olympics, and um, just wasn't quite good enough this time. Uh, and yeah, now I've just started marathon training. Um, I'm gonna do my debut marathon. I actually haven't um, been able to choose one yet because they're all being cancelled. Oh, wow. um, but when, when, when one opens up, um, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be ready. Yes. So I've just kind of um, started the, the foundations of, of marathon training. We had a, our first basically introduction to marathon training this morning, actually. So cool. yeah. How was that? Tell us a bit about what happened there. Yeah. So, um, it's, it was 20, 20 kilometers, 
Um, well, it was, a, it was 27, 28 all up actually, but um, so we do a three and a half, four k warm up, and then 20 kilometres um, where we go one k hard, one k sort of easier. So one k, um, my coach said one k at 320. 1k at 350 and then you keep doing that for 20k sorry sorry are you, are you saying 350 is easier <laughs> <laughs> well it is compared to three it is compared to 320 okay oh okay yeah gosh. but compared to but, a normal um, person's six seven minutes it's uh still quite fast yeah, <laughs> yeah. how did so, you hold no, up that was no good it was good i was really nervous about it actually it's funny i i just did an instagram post um, an hour ago or so and said like even after 20 years in this sport I still get nervous about workouts and about you know unfamiliar <laughs> workouts especially ones that we haven't done before and um, but I think that that those challenges like they force us to grow mm. and um, yeah was able to to go and get it done and um, yeah hopefully just sort of laying the foundations for what will be you know Hopefully a successful marathon career. Cool. Are you a bit like me? When I was playing, I used to get to training and I always wanted to know what, what we're doing. Like I used to I used to hate the unknown. I used to hate not knowing what we're doing at training. Are you similar? Do you like to know what you're doing? Yeah, I I love like structure and yeah. I think it probably lends itself to, you know, having two kids and needing to be organized logistically. But I also I don't like surprises. Um but my coach is He's a bit different like that. He kind of, every, every now and then, he will wait until last minute to tell us what the workout is because there's something to be said for not not yeah. um, not being able to build up any resilience in your mind before, you know, like for more than a few minutes before the workout. And then that, that kind of throws a bit of a positive psychology slant on it. Like you actually have to, you have to be really flexible straight away. And, I, and that's what, that's kind of what happens in when you're competing, you know, whether it be in a football game or whether it be in a race, like you've got to be ready for anything and you've got to be able to pivot and make a really um, free decision in that moment. And um, yeah. And kind of not have time to build yourself up for it. And so he likes, he likes kind of keeping it to himself until last minute, but yeah. You're spot on. All, All coaches hate it. Trainers don't like players knowing and they never let us know. But what I used to do was go into the trainer's office to pretend like I don't need to talk to them. And I'll just go on their desk. And I just like, used to flick through the papers. Like, oh, this one's like, okay. That's what <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Coaches hate it. Because you're right. In, Jeez, in, in, you a game, really cared. in a game of footy, you can't, you're in the same as running. You can't, you, you got to be ready for unpredictable. And you got to have that resilience in your mind. Like you said, you can't always be guaranteed to know what's going to happen on the field. It's always changing. Um, mm. Tell us about your, your, your family life. How many kids you got? Um, I've got two, uh, two kids. One, um, my daughter, our daughter is uh, eight years old and our son, Sonny, is just 20 months now, cool. actually. Um, so, yeah, Indy's homeschooling at the moment, and um, which is, yeah, just a challenge, <laughs> another <laughs> challenge. But uh, um, we're both, we're kind of, me and my husband, Johnny, kind of sharing the, like, the teacher I, I take PE. I take it for laps around the block. Yeah. And, um, the time trials and things like that. And Johnny yeah. does the math. So. Okay. How are you finding? Well. How are you finding the juggle with with training and work and kids and family and all that? Yeah. Um. 
I mean, like some days we just make an absolute meal of it. Like we're still navigating, you know, our way with two kids and like, you know, all the other stuff that goes on with living a full life. But um, I think it's the same for most people. It's like some days you nail it and then other days you don't. And I think there's just, there's grace for that. And um, we just do our best each day, try and be as organised as we can and do all the practical things. But some, sometimes, you know, you, your 20 month old is going to have a dirty nappy. Yeah. Like that just always. You talk about living a full life. Works. You definitely live a full life. You, you know, we're just going through some of your bio and you, you've won some awards and performed at France, Poland, South Korea, Germany, Greece, India, Scotland, China, Brazil, <laughs> UK. You've been around. And even just reading through your, your intro, that you know, there's, it's such an extraordinary life. Do you ever stop and reflect on, on what you've achieved and, and you know, how that makes you feel now? Um, sometimes like I get to, I get to speak in schools a lot actually. And, and, and corporately I do a, got a presentation with a, um, psychology practitioner and friend of mine, Rory Darkins do a presentation called, um, unlock your Olympian mindset. Cool. Yeah. And, um, and so we get to speak a lot in, in, in schools and yeah, every time I speak, I kind of, it doesn't feel like it's been my life in a way, kind of had this um weird experience but it's yeah i'm so grateful for what i've been able to experience and the opportunities that i've had and the people that i've you know have been around me to support those opportunities like my husband and my my coach slash manager nick and um you know there's there's a number of as you guys know as a professional athletes there's it's not just you you know there's a there's a whole team of people that are making things happen and making the the wheels turn. So yeah, just grateful I guess um, when I think back of everything that I've been able to experience and achieve throughout my career and yeah, just really looking forward to to what's next. Good on you. That's so good. Benny Little just had a huge smile from me to ear when you when you refer to all of us as athletes. Yeah, uh, he, he is a Hills Hornets uh, superstar. Yeah, um, I wasn't going to bring it up, great. but so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for including me in that we, LZ. That was uh, really nice. That's okay. You're uh, welcome. Now, how do we get um, how do we get more information about the Unlock Your Olympian Mindset um, presentation? Um, I mean, you can just contact most people. Just contact me through social media um, okay. or my Love Mercy email address, Eloise at LoveMercyFoundation.org. Sweet. Yeah. And your handle on Instagram is LZ Wellings. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, got that. Okay. You, you yep. spoke a bit before about um, nerves and just um, you, you gave us a little bit of insight in how do you, you approach it. What's your what's your main go-to when you're, you're feeling nerves and, you know, maybe fear sometimes? What's your approach? Yeah, nerves is such a funny thing. Like, uh, but I always think of nerves as, or I used to think of nerves as like really, you know, kind of evil and you know that zapping your energy and and sometimes it can they can become really overwhelming but i guess um i've learned that nerves are just an indicator that something is important to you and that it means something to you and um i think just being able to embrace that fact that this is important to me and um, that means something and that's you know that's all it means and just embracing those nerves and using 
using them as as energy and um you know letting letting the butterflies fly in formation mm. um and yeah using them i i guess for to to help propel you to to find out what your potential is yeah cuz it's a it's just another level of discomfort that you got to get comfortable with isn't it and i suppose with with you running the the 5 and the the 10k um at such a high level and now going into marathons there would be a lot of discomfort that you've had to get used to so um yeah how, how do you how do you deal with that and what's your mindset leading into into that that discomfort that you kind of need to get used to <laughs> yeah i don't think there's like i don't think you ever fully adapt to the discomfort i think there's got to be a decision every time you show up to to training or to a race or to a hard workout whatever it is that that's difficult that you're going to attempt i think there's got to be a decision like that you're going to lean in Mm. um when you start to feel pain because i think once you start to feel pain and you haven't made that decision um it becomes really difficult to to lean in you you almost you know you start you can it's really it's much easier to start unraveling mentally Mm. um so one of the things I start, you know, like before I did this morning's workout, you know, all day yesterday I was I was imagining myself leaning into the discomfort and leaning into when it starts to to hurt and and imagining what I'm going to start to think and um you know how I'm going to train my mind to to think this way instead of you know a, a way that might either slow me down or make me breathe harder or make me anxious or fearful about the outcome rather just trying to stay in that present moment, you know, think about what my, you know, what I'm doing physically, what my body's doing, what my breathing's doing. And yeah, just, just trying to stay in the present is is so crucial. I think to, to having the performance that, you know, um, that lines up with your, you know, your potential. Yeah. Do you find, um, you're talking about like, like kind of visualization and that, Hey, as part of your, your prep, do you find you do you do that often? Is that something that one of your go tos? Yeah, I think so. I think I I probably I don't like, you know, go and sit on the sand with my legs crossed and, <laughs> and close my eyes. Yeah. It's more of a, just the day to day as I'm going about my, you know, like menial tasks. Yeah. Um, yeah. with other stuff that I'm you know, I might take a moment to like think, Oh yeah, like if I'm if I'm nervous about a workout, especially, and I imagine myself running, like I imagine myself, you know, running strong and, and finishing strong, and I think that 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 holds a lot of power. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it has for me in the in the past, and you know, we've been given like a great gift to be able to imagine what could be in the future, and um and I think not enough athletes and not enough people in general use that gift to to imagine um good things happening yeah just on that eloise you talk about on your website when you were 10 years old i think in 92 you're watching the barcelona olympic games and that was a huge inspiration for you what was it about that so obviously you would have imagined yourself performing at that level one day but what was it about those games that inspired you I think I was watching, you know, running. I just started running at that point. Um, I'd been running for a couple of years. My mum was a really good runner. And so I was already passionate about something that was in the Olympics. And then I was watching, you know, the best of the best in the world do it on, you know, at this, on the Olympic stage. And yeah, I just remember thinking, I'm, I'm going to do that one day. In fact, I turned to my mum and dad and said, I'm going to do that one day. 
and um and it's what actually really excites me about you know Brisbane getting the the 2032 Olympics is yeah. that so many of our so many of the generation that could be at that Olympics will be sitting in their lounge rooms now um, watching the our team in Tokyo and obviously there's so many you know it's a different Olympics this time but it's 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 the world you know the biggest stage it's the pinnacle of sport and. Um, there's going to be so many young, young people that are inspired by what they see in Tokyo that are going to um, go on to to yeah. compete at um, 2032. Yeah, and and you were in that same position. You talk about Brisbane and having an Olympics on our home turf, but you were inspired in '92. And then you fast forward eight years, and you've qualified now to perform at the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney, which would have been <laughs> a huge, you know, achievement for you. But Unfortunately, you had some stress fractures. It was probably, your, I think it was your first of 11 of your career. What emotions are you, yeah. are you running through your mind at that stage? Because I can't imagine how that must have felt. Yeah, I mean, um, missing the, my first Olympics was probably, oh, would I say it was the most devastating? I don't know, they were all pretty devastating. <laughs> but yeah. um, but the, the, that one in particular, you know, I was 16 when I ran the qualifying time. I was measured for the uniform. I was so young. There was so much excitement and so much attention around it as well. There was a lot of media um, attention. And I guess I put a lot of pressure on myself as well to perform. And, and it, you know, in hindsight, it was, it was absolutely running was my identity. It was who I was. It was where I found my value. It was where I found my worth. Um, so to have that taken away through injury, um, and, and not be able to compete in those Olympics was, was devastating. But, you know, I look back at all of my injuries and there is something good that has, you know, come from all of them. That particular injury, I came to know Jesus. Um, awesome. And, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, I wouldn't take that back for anything. Yeah. Um, and I, don't, I actually don't think that I would probably be as driven now to, to continue um, with my running career if I didn't um, have those setbacks um, early on. If they were just, if they came really easy to me and, you know, I had made those first three Olympics that I tried for, I don't know whether I would have had such a long career. Um, and, yeah, so I, <clears throat> I kind of think back and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grateful for, for all the things that I've been through, even though the, the, the injuries are tough to deal with at the time. It's, in fact, the hardest thing to deal with as an athlete yeah. um, to be injured and not be able to do what you love. But certainly I became so much stronger through every injury and <clears throat> learned something about myself and, um, you know, just the character growth and... and um, and I knew that I was, you know, I was going, if I just kept persevering that I would, um, you know, things would work out for good. So that's when it all started for you with your, with your Christianity and your, your faith in Jesus back around that injury. Yeah. And back into uh, the, the first, yeah, the first Olympic, it was the result of missing those first Olympics because somebody, a friend at school, um, yeah, shared with me that she'd been praying for my injury and um, we became really good friends and she invited me to church. And, you know, up until that point, I had a really warped sense of who God was. I like I thought that God was punishing me for something that I was, you know, that I did wrong. Or, right. But, um, yeah, just 
went to went to church with my new friend Lisa and, and I heard the gospel. Like I heard I heard about Jesus and um and his love for us and that, you know, I was valued and um worthy of that love no matter how fast I ran or how slow I ran or whether I ran at all. And so that just making that distinction between um, who I was as a person rather than who I was as an athlete was super important. Um, yeah. yeah, to my to my mental health as well. Yeah, I often ask footy players how they find having their faith in the in the football world. I don't know a whole lot about the running world and what the culture is like there, but how have you found having your faith in, in the professional sporting world as well? Yeah, look, I think it's just a matter of just being authentic and and honest with people um, and, you know, like I get questions all the time around faith and I think just, you know, answering as honestly and authentically as I can and, and just living out, you know, um, like my faith and living out truth and um, just loving people for where they're at and, um, you know, we've got a great, I've got a couple of friends who have faith in athletics and Nicola McDermott, our high, high jumper, and she's going yeah. to do great in Tokyo and um, Nara Nang. Um, and those those girls have been super encouraging and um, around, you know, our faith and um, Hannah Johnson as well, just an amazing chaplain yeah. over the yeah. years. Um, and so, hand. yeah, super, super supported, <clears throat> always have been super supported by by hand and um, through all the major championships and all the build-ups and everything. And, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, as I said, it's just about being, like, authentic and living it out as best as you can. Yeah. So maybe back in two, 2000, you would have answered, who is Elsie Wellings? Well, I'm a runner. You get, answer, you get asked that question now. Um, how, how are you answering it differently? Well... I'm still a runner, yep. but I don't, I'm not like, I don't feel that I need to prove myself or my self-worth through running yeah, and right. through performances and through the outcome. Like I feel free to be able to do what I believe God has gifted me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and regardless of the outcome, um, I know that I'm loved um, yeah. the same <laughs> and yeah. I'm valued the same and I'm worth the same. And, and that, that thought and that truth allows me to like, um, it's liberating and it's empowering to be able to go out and do your best without, you know, without, you know, um, fear of the outcome or the result being, you know, a threat to your identity or a mm. threat to your, to your worth. Mm. Louise, am I correct in saying you were diagnosed with um, osteoporosis at 16? Is that right? Yeah, so I struggled um, <clears throat> I struggled with an eating disorder from um, about age 13. Mm. And that went on for an, like a number of years. And it was one of the reasons why I had so many stress fractures. And um, yeah, I was diagnosed with um, osteoporosis at... 16 years old so around three years later um and yeah that was a really that was a really 
tricky time in, um, you know, just overcoming mental illness as well as just just trying to navigate. Um, once I finally acknowledged that, you know, I had a problem and I really wanted to get help, like it was about <clears throat> getting um, people around me that could help and, um, you know, seeing a psychologist and a nutritionist and being really honest and open um, with people that I trusted and, you know, working through that. And to be honest, it took about six years um, between first, um, you know, struggling with it at 13 and then at 19 years old, finally breaking the habits and the, the thought processes that go with that mental illness. Um, and a lot of the time, especially with an eating disorder, you, you know, you do take two steps forward, uh, sorry, one step forward and two steps back. Mm. Um, and that was, you know, that was, that was difficult. And, um, but it's, definitely my story um you know it proves that you can you can overcome an eating disorder and mm. um it is possible to to break um you know to break the the thought processes and and improve um yeah improve your physical and and mental health yeah. and has that osteoporosis affected you much for the rest of your career or is it was it kind of something that you kind of worked on early um yeah, so, well, my, I still had another 10 stress fractures after that first one that I suffered to miss Sydney Olympics. Yeah. So I think it definitely, um, I definitely paid the price for, um, you know, disordered eating for a number of years through like the years that should have been my formative years physically um, and um, and my developing years physically. So um, you know, such a crucial time in a teenage girl or a teenage woman, and I'd missed all you know of those developing years because I wasn't nourishing myself properly, and I wasn't—I just wasn't eating enough. I wasn't eating enough calories, and I wasn't—I um, was restricting. And it's what's what's called red S actually now. Um, they used to call it the female athlete triad, but it's, it's called um, red S. Um, but we, yeah, I mean, I my bone density, by the time I made the London Olympics at 29 years old, my bone density was as high as it's ever been. And it was back to normal. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, that was really, obviously really encouraging because there was a lot of medical research at the time was saying, you know, you bone, you've missed your, your bone, um, you know, your bone forming years and now it will only decline. Um but yeah, I mean, it was, I had to keep doing all of the right things and all the things that I knew that would help, um, help that area. And yeah, and I get, I get probably get my bone density checked now every sort of 12 to 18 months. And, um, yeah, it's still, still pretty good. Yeah. You, you say you worked on, um, uh, your well-being through you know, getting a psychologist, meeting with a nutritionist, learning all that, getting a support network around you. Is there any other things mm -hmm. you did um, that, that that were helpful that could help those you know listeners today who are you know maybe doing it tough or struggling? Um, I think the main thing is that you. One of the main things for me was just acknowledging that I had. A problem right. and that's that's really hard um, to say I need help 
Right. Um, but it's one of the most courageous things you can do, and it's actually the first step um, right. to, you know, to getting better, and it's a big step. Um, and then, yeah, and then obviously, as I said, like I think it's so necessary for um, to get that network around you um, of people that, um, you know, I, the psychologists that I work with, worked with, um, had um, experience with working with other female athletes with eating disorders. That was really important to me. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's crucial now as well. Um, and then the nutritionists, um, too, she was one of the nutritionists at the Australian Ballet. And yeah. so, um, again, experience in working with, um, in particular, female athletes of around my age that um, that were, you know, struggling and had the same challenges. So, yeah, I think um, I think just making that decision and telling people that are close to you, and um, <clears throat> I think just challenging yourself a little bit every day to change your mindset and to change. Um, yeah, to change your thought processes, and then after that, your your behaviour changes, yeah. and you slowly start to see um, improvements. Yeah, wow, that's that's awesome. Um, you, you, we talked about the two thousand game, so you qualify as a sixteen year old, which is incredible. But then you fast forward two thousand and four, you're forced again to miss through injury. Two thousand eight. You, you miss out again. But in between, you have some really incredible achievements, like the 2006 um, Commonwealth Games, you finished fourth in the 5,000-meter final. Um, yeah. 2009, you uh, had an incredible time at the, the Zadopec. Um But 2012, that, take us there. Take us... So, we, you know, you've had so many years of frustration. I always talk about how it must be so hard for an Olympic athlete because they train so hard. Now, we, we have that... As a rugby league player, we have the, I guess, the ability to train. If you have a bad day or a bad game, it's okay. There's old saying like, it's, it's on again next week. Uh, but with yeah. you guys, you just have, you know, whether it's 31 minutes or whether it's, you know, nine seconds, like depending on what the event is, but you've got one chance to get it right. And mm. how, how do you find it when you finally qualify to, for the London Games and you finally get to compete? Oh, yeah, it was so exciting um obviously because I'd, I'd waited for so long and it had been you know three three failed attempts up until that point and uh you know a 19 year dream since watching the barcelona olympics on television to being 29 and and finally lining up it had been such a journey to that point and um you know i was quite quite anxious in the lead up, to be honest, about being like getting injured again, about making the starting line, and you know, I was counting down the days. And I remember my husband just um, calling it out about ten days out. He's just he's like, you've worked so hard for so many years to experience this moment. You know, you deserve to to experience it with you know with joy and with freedom and, and peace and. Um, rather than, you know, approach it with anxiety and, and fear and, um, you know, that something, you know, history might repeat itself. And, um, yeah, so that, that that really helped me kind of, calling it out really helped me kind of go, oh, yeah, like, he's right. And I think just, um, 
you know, being a bit more aware of where my mind was going in the lead up to, to the games. And then, you know, the games themselves were incredible, like walking out into the starting line, seeing my family up in the stadium. I was a complete emotional wreck. And I think I probably, it actually definitely affected my performance. But I actually don't think it could have happened any other way, you know. And I chat, I'd spoke to my coach about it afterwards and, you know, London was like this experience that I had to have um, and go and be able to call myself an Olympian and go and tick that box finally after all those years. And then, you know, four years later in Rio, it was a different approach. It was like okay, let's um, take some measured risks here. Let's go and actually see what, you know, what I can do on the world stage. It was much more business-like. It was a lot less emotional because I'd already made the Olympics and nothing could ever take that away. And so Rio was much more about trying to get my performance, you know, trying to run as fast as I could and place as highly as I could and yeah, it was, both Olympics were so different, but they were, they both were, um, you know, the, the experiences were, um, yeah, something that I'll never forget. Rio's by far my favourite part of your story because, like I just <clears> spoke <throat> before about how, you know, as an Olympic athlete, you've got your one chance in four years to perform and there's so much pressure at that time. And for you to save, you know, probably one of your, was that your best performance of your career? 31 minutes? The, the, I think right? so, yes. Yeah. yeah, 31. So I raced. In the 10K, I did 31.14, which is a PB, and then, yeah. um, and then I made the the 5K final with my two other country women, um, yeah. Genevieve Lacaz and Genevieve Gregson now, and 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 Madeline Madeline Heiner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had such a great time. But I mean, to get your PB at that stage, like at that <laughs> with all that pressure and all that, you know, you've obviously had years and years of hard work and and obstacles and frustrations and to get to that Olympic Games and perform like that, I've, I've got the, the world of respect for athletes like you because it, it takes a lot to get it right on the day. And, um, yeah, I think it's something that you should, like you said, no one can ever take that away from you. Like it's going to be something that people will talk about for years to come. So it must be something that makes you really proud. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Now, Elsie, we're going to get into um, asking you a bit more about your heart. Um, for Uganda and the Love and Mercy Foundation. But before we do, it's um, time to get to the premium part of the uh, interview. This is called 60 Second Blitz with Blitz. Um, That's because I'm Blitz and it goes for about 60 seconds, but it never goes for 60 seconds, but that's okay. I'm just going to fire a bunch of questions at you and you just need to to give us the answer that comes into your head um, straight away. Just first, you know, don't think through it, just first, first answers. Are you up for that? I'm up for it. Okay, I'm nervous, but okay. okay. Just lean into the nerves. We've already talked about this. It's part. It's part of the discomfort. We know how it is. I don't want to get cancelled for saying the first thing that that pops into yeah, my brain. It's all right. Anyway, we'll, um, you, you've got a good editor. It sounds yeah, like. Yeah, we do. We definitely do. With, with um, with talent like Timmy Manor around. Um, now listen. Uh, uh, worst investment you've ever made. Oh. I don't know. Do I have? I haven't had. I haven't invested in anything. Okay. <laughs> Probably my problem. Um. Uh, yeah. Uh. uh favorite movie. <laughs> um. Uh. Bridesmaids. Ooh, okay. Oh. Okay. Funny. Very yes. funny. Uh. Uh. Worst. Yeah. Worst date you've ever been on, and maybe give us a little. Little bit of info. Um. Uh, uh, 
Okay. Yes, <laughs> I like the Remove hesitation. Remove the filter. The hesitation. Like, okay, yeah. I like it. Let's go. Take us there. No. It was a dark one. I can't. Night. Yeah, okay. No, I can't. Oh, yeah. no, I can't. oh okay. Oh. I just feel like there's juice Sorry. there. Was, and I'm for, the juice box. Maybe that's an off-air chat, okay. Benny. Yeah. Um, now, if you could meet anyone, who who would you want to meet? Um, uh, who would I want to meet? Huh. Pick any, you can pick anyone. Take your time. Um, thank you. That's all right. <laughs> I feel pressure is a 60-second blitz. Yeah, you um, yeah, you got as long as you want. This, yeah. uh, being, being of, drags this on. Out of all the pressure you've felt in your career, this is the, this is the height. Uh, like... Like Gandhi or like... Um, <laughs> I would really want to meet Adele. Oh, cool. Adele the singer. Yeah, right. I'd yeah, like nice. to meet her. All right, maybe next time she's in Sydney. Okay, now, do you have a weird habit no one knows about? <laughs> you could, like, let us in on. Come on. <laughs> Uh, weird habit. Yeah. Um, I have so many of those. Yeah, just give um, us one. But you know, when you do them so much, you don't think that they're weird anymore. Just yeah. they just become a part of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always put my left. This is an OCD thing, hundred um, percent. I always put my left shoe on before my right. Wow. wow. This is so good. You know, we spoke. Yeah. With, well, you don't understand how. In good previous days. episodes, we've spoken about you know footy players and their suspicious. Uh, Superstitions. Superstitions, yeah, and I, yeah. um, my one is before a game, I'll put my left sock and left shoe on before I put, sorry, left sock, left, right sock, left shoe, right shoe. Yeah. So that's my one. Yeah. That's my and if you don't, what will happen? No, it, it, it never it, does. It happen. It happens every time. Every, yeah. It happens every time. Yeah. If you don't, you may lose. Potentially, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, two more. Now, um, something you got in trouble from off your parents quite often growing up. Um, uh, just a messy room. I'm uh, not yeah. that great at tidy. I'm just, yeah, yeah, not that great at tidy. Now we've been yeah. there. Um, now, now listen, we talked a little bit about you getting into the, the, the marathons. Um, what kind of else is, is next for Elsie? Like, like, what on the street is you've got a podcast going on, you've got your foundation. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, tell us a bit yeah. about the podcast. Let's, let's hear about that first. Yeah, the podcast um, it has been really fun, actually, and we're super inconsistent with it. Um, <laughs> but um, we kind of just jump on when we think of something or someone that we want to chat to. And But, yeah, we've, we've had some really interesting guests on, um, I do it with um, Rory Darkins, um, who I was telling you about before, who we do the speaking together. And yeah, it's called What's Right at the moment. I think we're going to change the name. But um, it's, um, it's basically um, a podcast just to help people um, realize their potential. And through that, I think... Um, Mainly just, I think there's so many, I mean, we say this in the intro, but there's so much, so much information going around to tell us what's wrong with us. Yeah, <laughs> and we yeah. kind of just want to point out what's right within people, what's already within people, right. that's, um, awesome. that's what's good and yeah. what's right that they can use as a strength. Yeah. And um, a lot of people don't know their own strengths. Mm. <laughs> they just, yeah. they're, they're so focused on what they're bad at and what they're, weaknesses are 
and you know I think those messages are really affirmed as well in articles that we read and things that you hear on the news and um, social media as well of, of like what you've got to fix um, but you know we want to be able to um, I guess send a message and I guess that's the main message is that trying to make clear within people that what they already have within them um, to fulfill, you know, great potential. Yeah. And how do, how do people get a hold of that? Just on Spotify? and Yeah, it's on Spotify and uh, iTunes as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. Now, Eloise, we really want to hear about your foundation, Love Mercy. Um, can you yeah. tell us a bit more about So it's called the Love Mercy Foundation, is that right? Yep, Love Mercy Foundation. And it's, yeah, we started. Tell us, yep. yeah, tell us all about it. Yeah, we started um, the Love Mercy Foundation back in 2008, and it was right. Um, I was over in Portland trying to, in this last ditch effort, trying to make it to the Beijing Olympics. I had a stress fracture in my foot, and um, but over there, I stayed in a house that other international athletes were based from, and. I met Ugandan athlete Julius H. on and we became really good friends like almost immediately. We have the same sense of humor and Julius shared with me about his um, <clears throat> his upbringing in Uganda and, and his journey um, to, to, his two, um, to being a two-time Olympian and um, it was harrowing. It was, he's got an incredible story. He was um, captured and forced to be a, a child soldier at age 11 and he was held at a rebel camp for three months and he um, you know he miraculously escaped from there and walked a hundred kilometers home over three days and then um, finally found his family and um, basically his family couldn't afford to send to pay for the five dollar per semester school fees but he heard that if he became a good runner then um, you could potentially, um, he could potentially get a scholarship to go to school. Anyway, to, to cut his story really short, he became an incredible runner and went on to become a two-time Olympian um, for the 1500-meter event. Um, and he went to, he captained the Ugandan team at the Atlanta Olympics and the Sydney Olympics. Um, but when I met Julius, he was working in Portland as a as a pacemaker for some of the top American athletes. Um, but sending most of his $20,000 wage home to, to care for 11 orphans that he'd found living underneath a bus in the height of the war. And, um, and yeah, this, his story just really moves me. And, and he, he told me, he shared with me about, um, with both Johnny and I, about his vision for his community and, and asked us to come alongside him. And, and and that's how and, and why we started the Love Mercy Foundation. We we went to Uganda to go to his and his wife Grace's wedding and, and met all of the kids that he'd been caring for and met his family and um, other people from his community and in Owaki in, in northern Uganda. And, um, yeah, and so we, we basically run three main projects, a, a medical clinic um, which services around 100,000 people in the region. Yeah. Um, and then a, we've recently, in the last three years, uh, started drilling um, wells for clean water. Oh, awesome. Um, oh, cool. And, yeah, and then our um, microloan program called Sense of Seeds, which um, empowers families to create their own livelihood and um, food security through through farming. 
Wow. We um, actually was lucky enough to take two of the Melbourne Storm players over to Uganda uh, in 2019. Um, and it's a, it's a really special place, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but it's um, it's so good that there's people like you that have a heart for it. And it's, it's easy to sit back and just think, oh, someone else will take care of it, someone else will look after them. But to see someone like you putting their hand up and say, no, I want to help make a difference and help make you know someone's life better. Because all it takes is making one person's life better, and that changes their family's life, and then that community is affected by it. So it's it's incredible that you have people like you that have put their hand up and said, no, I'll be that person. Mm. Um, so that's awesome. How can our listeners get involved? What can they do to help out? Yeah, you can go to the lovemercyfoundation.org. Um, one of our, one of obviously the challenges during this time of COVID is, is food security. Um, for, you know, Uganda's in a hard lockdown at the moment and many people are, are unable to, um, to have access to food and to clean water. So that's probably been our, our main focus, those two programs um, during this time. Um, so yeah, it's $30 to, to sponsor a, a woman to go through um, the Sense for Feeds program and um, empower her to create her own livelihood and um, for her family. And, and then um, the water through drilling wells, um, it's $7,500 to drill a new well and around $300 to repair one. And we're hoping to, to drill another five wells before the end of the year. So good. And, and repair around 15, another 15. That's so good. Eloise, you're, you're such a special person and we're so grateful that you've given us your time and, yes, and got any, you. um, any of our listeners that want to get involved. It's the Love Mercy Foundation, guys. Be sure to check it out. Also, check out her podcast. It's called The What's Right Within. And Eloise, I'm not just saying this because you're on air, but what you've done is you're going to inspire a generation of young Aussie kids you know, to really aspire to their, one, achieve their dreams, but two, overcome obstacles. You know, your story is one that so many people can look at when they're going through a tough time yeah. and really be inspired. So thank you so much for your time and we really look forward to following your journey and everything you're doing outside of your sporting career as well. Uh, thanks, guys. I'm encouraged. Thanks for having me on. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.